0: Thanks. Um, thanks so much for having me along today, and an especially big thank you to all the organisers from the SRHE for putting together a, a fantastic event. Um, similar to Mike, I want to focus on cooperation and collaboration in higher education, um, sort of as it already actually exists, um, and I want to focus particularly on feminist approaches to working collaboratively and to theorising what this collaboration does, what it means in the context of the competition um, fetish that Rajani discussed this morning. So um, in putting together this response, I decided not to um, present a piece of my research, but I am drawing on some recent work to to try and join this conversation. Um, So mainly this this article, this edited collection that came out a couple of months ago and this um, book on feminist repetitions that's due to come out in the spring but we'll we'll see about that so as you'll see um, these are these are co-authored publications and in the article and the book especially i'm working with Yvette Taylor to research feminist practices of collaboration by turning to our own collaborative working relationship as a source of empirical material um, so investigating collaboration via our collaboration which includes um, like we research and write together we also teach together co-supervise postgraduate students, um, organise events and seminar series, develop bids for research funding and and so on and so forth. And a a sort of um, aside that I wanted to make here is that these kinds of um, collaborations, like working together from different positions in in the career course, um, can be encoded and mobilised in university procedures. So for example, when um, an early career funding scheme um, stipulates that the applicant must um, identify a mentor from within the host institution, Okay, for example. However, um, other ways of collaborative working are not quite so um, recognisable or perhaps rewardable um, in institutional terms, and I'm going to come back to that um, and try and elaborate that tension a little bit later on. Um, so in this work that we did together, we decided to focus on um, feminist collaborations because we are feminist academics, but also um, because I think feminist academics encounter a particular problem. Like it's not the only problem that they encounter, and it's definitely not a problem that's unique to feminist academics. But the problem um, is that their academic work is very frequently understood as a sort of activist intervention into the academy. So seeking to question, transform modes, frameworks and institutions of knowledge production, as quoting from Maria de Mar Pereira. So alongside this activist project, feminist academics also encounter the imperative, the necessity to work in ways that are legible within the dominant terms that they're also working to try and transform. So there's this kind of, um, you know, the precondition, the paradoxal, paradoxical precondition for dissent is participation, I think um, Valerie Hay said. So this echoes Mike's within and against contradiction. Um, so I think the main point that I'm going to try and make for about the next, 10 minutes is that while practices of cooperation, collaboration and collectivity are are quite clearly like already present in the university um, as we know it, they're already present in the hyper-competitive world of higher education in the greedy institution, um, to use Valerie Hayes' words again, um, these ways of working are, are predominantly overlooked and disregarded by institutional reward structures. And my main point is actually that simultaneous to this disregard um, is that universities as institutions absolutely depend upon these mostly devalued forms of collectivity and care um, in order to continue to function according to this like supposedly avowedly individualistic meritocratic, which I absolutely agree is a horrible lie, um, competitive ethos. Um, So I'm gonna, discuss some of the way that collaboration is currently understood um, as a sort of um, activist intervention um, and as resistance to the, the competition fetish, and but also go on to use a feminist lens to sort of complicate and, and nuance that a little bit. My slides are quite literature reviewy. there's going to be a lot of quotes, um, but hopefully these are some useful sort of um, points of connection and, and discussion with, with the rest of the speakers today. So. The very first um, simple point is that like, yes, collaboration is very often just positioned as like absolutely central to feminist ways of working um, in the university. So by way of example, we can look to um, the, the resistors um, collective who write together under a collective name. So this is a way to engage in a sort of um, citational politics intended to scramble those hierarchical conventions of first author, second author and so on. Um, And in this quote, they're they're sort of setting up on the idea of working in academia for the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of equality for all in opposition to sort of like individual um, career advancement. Um, I think it's important to note that pursuing equality in higher education will actually result in career advancement for some marginalized academics. Um, So thinking particularly of the like disproportionately low numbers of black women and women of color in senior positions. So I don't think that, um, like you know, this laudable goal of equality for all is always or necessarily like absolutely oppositional to career advancement. Um, is is a first or just one observation to make there. So other ways that um, collaborative ways of working are conceptualised by feminists include um, ideas like horizontal ways of working are simply good for well-being. Okay. Um, and they're useful for um, reducing the power of old boys networks so again I think we have to be um, cautious um, and ask if there's a risk of replacing one form of nepotism with with another Um, and collaboration is also understood as as supporting alternative career strategies Um, it's just good for the career progression um, of feminist academics so again we can see this tension um, in the way that collaborative ways of working are advocated for um, on the basis that they they can support individual career advancement okay so I think it's interesting to think about collaboration um, methodologically as well um, you probably um, or you may well already know that like feminist researchers have long demonstrated like the epistemological and the political potential of collaborative research methods I think um, collective biography is a really instructive example here. Um, so this is a method um, through which data is generated um, by a, a sort of iterative group process involving three or more researchers, um, speaking and writing from memory, turning individual biographical material um, into collective stories which are reworked by multiple authors and, and the um, goal is to sort of ultimately loosen um, that kind of memory work from a coherent individual subject position so collective biography is is used a lot to oh thank you (laughs) thanks so much to um investigate academic labor academic identities Um, and Bronwyn Davis and Suzanne Gannon and colleagues argue that these kind of methods um not only do they involve people working together collaboratively but um their their hope is that they can disrupt the myth of this sort of like heroic individual knowing subject and enact a more sort of collective and distributed conception of personhood experience and and knowledge so like shifting towards um sort of multi-vocal and dispersed academic subjectivity so that's some of the ways that collaborative working is is conceptualized and i wanted to um pause here to think um about the kind of work that goes into sustaining academic labour, um, and I wanted to show you this extract. Does this look familiar to anyone? It's from <laughs> it's from a much longer piece called "I Want a Wife" that was published um, in in Ms magazine in 19, 1971. Um, it's satire. It's written from the perspective of a mature woman student um, who's imagining benefiting from all the domestic work that a wife um, might be expected to perform in the context of a traditional heterosexual marriage. And so you can probably imagine that when I show this to my students, they, they have a good laugh about the idea of someone having a wife who typed up their essays for them. Um, However, you might also have seen um, a couple of years ago, there was a hashtag circulating on Twitter called um, thanks for typing. Did anyone see that? Um, I will show you. So this was, it started a couple of years ago and um, it involved people on Twitter collecting images of um, acknowledgements at the start of academic monographs in which a mostly unnamed, like anonymous wife was thanked for typing the manuscript. And in this example, you know, last but not least, I gratefully acknowledge my debt to my wife for typing the whole of this work at least twice, patiently deciphering my afterthoughts and insurgents and sternly correcting stylistic lapses. So there's lots of, there's lots of different examples of these that often include not only thanks for typing, but like thanks for keeping the kids quiet so I could think. And, um, I think, um, what's, there's, there's a lot of stuff we could say about this, but I think what's noticeable is, like, not only is the wife anonymous, like, she's not even named, um, but this is intellectual labour. Like, this, to me, is the stuff that involves... Like, this is what writing is. Um, and in some of these other examples, you know, wives just weren't... Wives weren't just thanked for typing. They were thanked for um, doing the analysis or, like, transcribing the interviews or <laughs> writing the whole of Chapter 3, which is definitely intellectual labour. And the correct um, word for someone who does that is, is co-author. Um, so... Why did I show you that? I think it's um, a good good sort of anecdotal example of the kind of distributed labour that even avowedly individual academic achievements depend upon. Um, And I think this is part of what um, Rajani is referring to as the competition fetish, like displacing the underlying relations of production and reproduction. um, And it articulates with Mike's commitment to understanding the relationship (laughs) between capital and labour, I think. So um, I think when when we look at... Um, this kind of example, the problem becomes not only that academic work is structured in a hyper-competitive way, but that the actual um, shared responsibility, divisions of labour that enable success within this framework, um, are are erased at the same time as they're co-opted and and put to work to sustain it. So, I'll say a little bit more. Um, Lots of researchers have emphasised how um, thinking about collaboration as a form of feminist resistance to the competitive neo- the competitive neoliberal university risks re-inscribing the same kind of essentialist assumptions about feminized forms of labor that we see when people thank their unnamed wives for typing. Okay, so um, re-inscribing like essentialist conceptions, re- like reductive and untrue assumptions about supposedly innate um, feminine characteristics, which some folk have argued, excuse me can lead to a disproportionate expectation for supporting others in the workplace um to be placed on on women in academia and i think these expectations are colored by class and race characteristics as well as gender so like if you ask like who is expected to sacrifice their own career gains to support others um what else i think um i mentioned Mentoring a little bit already, I think, and I think this is a good example um, of how like me- when mentoring junior colleagues is seen as a sort of integral feminist commitment. Um, again, this is work that can not always but can go uncredited in like pay and promotion structures. But also the um the potential transformative effect of supporting junior colleagues um is is structurally limited. So um Acker and Wagner emphasize how you know, um, a senior feminist academic could like put all this um, work into supporting a junior colleague to in in their job search, but it might often result in achieving like a, a casualised, very insecure, um, precarious contract, which doesn't really intervene in the competit- hyper competitive job market itself. How am I doing for time? Got another couple of minutes. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Caring roles in universities, which might include um, sort of like pastoral responsibilities for students, gain support and junior colleagues, um, have been sort of analysed in a way that shows that they're refigured as a lack of um, productivity, like not generating research income, not publishing referable outputs, um, especially when undertaken by women, especially black women and women, color, uh, women of colour. Um, Pestra and colleagues have analysed what they call the um, distribution of academic housework, um, so things like citizenship, administration and teaching work, as again like, devalued because of their caring and cooperative um, character, because they can be read in those ways. Um, Cardoso as well um, focuses on university teaching, and I'm not sure if, if this argument would really stand in the context of the TEF, and also like high student fees for international students in the way that teaching is also mobilized in that income-generating income, income generating way. But Cardoso um, analyzes teaching as, again, this sort of like devalued, almost like domestic work of the university, what she calls keeping house, compared to the valorized um, individual generation of research income as this like productive work that takes place outside the um, university as, as household. So sort of like bringing home the UKRI bacon. Um, and again, I think it's just, it's just so evident that these kinds of like caring or collaborative work are so absolutely necessary for the institution to continue to function. Thank you. I'll leave these uh, evocative quotes from other people on the board. Thanks for listening. Thank you.